Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sisters in Sustainability podcast. I am your host, Victoria Lynn. This week, we are joined by an extra special guest and our first state title holder. Everyone, please welcome Miss Virginia's teen. Have to get used to saying teen yes. and outstanding teen. <laughs> I am Johnson. That was so well, weird to hear you say how loud. <laughs> right? It's bizarre to hear the change. Once you say it out loud, I feel like you're like, oh my goodness. Um, but outstanding, as I've heard, is implied. And we are so, so excited to have you here with us today. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do? Hi, everyone. I'm super excited to be on this podcast. And I heard that I'm the first state title holder. I was so honored that Victoria reached out to me and was interested in all the work I'm doing. My name is Ayana. I'm 16 years old. I'm a junior in high school. Um, my social impact initiative is Ayana's READ initiative, Readiness to Empower, Advocate, and Diminish Hopelessness and Chronic Illness. And I chose that because I have sickle cell disease. So it's always been really important to me to uplift those living with chronic illnesses, which is what we'll talk about a lot in this interview. Um, yeah, that's a little bit about me and a little bit about what I do as Miss Virginia's team. So you have talked about, and I, I've seen this on your social media, dealing with sickle cell disease. So could you tell everybody, for those who might not know, what sickle, sickle cell disease is? Yes. So I like to describe it kind of in layman's terms so that people can really understand and have like a visual of what it is. So sickle cell disease is when your cells take on an abnormal shape. So normally your cells are around like a circle, kind of like this, like a when you make a fist, that's what your normal cells look like. And then my cells are in the shape of a crescent moon or a C. And it's called sickle sickle cells because like sickles are what they used to chop wood back in the day. So that's where they get the name from, sickle cells. And those abnormal shape of the cells really affects how they move through your body. And because they're little hooks, essentially, they can get stuck inside of your blood flow, which causes blood not to flow as well, which can cause pain, a pain episode or pain crisis, which is what I like to call it usually. And that pain can happen really at any time. It's pretty unpredictable, which is a huge struggle of the disease because you don't really know when it's gonna happen. Uh, you don't really know what form it can take on because I can have crises anywhere. It can be in my arms, it can be in my legs, it can be in my joints. I had one in my back this year, uh, so which was really new for me. So just like as I get older too, it can move to different places that I'm not used to and things like that. So I just have to manage that every single day. What types of treatments are available for people suffering with sickle cell disease? So that's one of the things I'm really passionate of talking about because we don't have a whole lot of resources for those who have sickle cell disease. And noticing at a young age that there was a gap between resources provided for hematology patients versus oncology patients or patients that have cystic fibrosis or other diseases were more represented, they had more resources. And noticing that gap between those different diseases and sickle cell was something that I really wanted to change at a young age. And now that I'm older, I realize that there's only four FDA approved medications for people with sickle cell disease. And I think that's unacceptable. I think that we should be able to have more medications to get 
the care we need. And on top of that, these medications are extremely expensive. I mean, like very expensive through the roof numbers that a lot of people can't afford with sickle cell. And so they're constantly in the hospital, constantly in need of um, special care, special attention. And then it can sometimes be stigmatized as us being drug seekers because we have to go into the hospital so much. And I think if we had more FDA-approved medications, having more resources, I think that would cause us to have a better lifestyle. Um, there are things like gene therapy, but that's pretty risky since you're altering your genes. So that's not really a study that's super prevalent right now in the sickle cell community. And um, there's different like therapies you can do. Acupuncture is something that I've done that can help me have less aches and pains from day to day. Uh, so little things like that that I implement into my lifestyle, those are resources that I've been able to find, but overall um, there's definitely not enough, which is what I'm here for, what I plan to continue to change. As we've discussed in previous weeks, good health and well-being represents sustainable development goal three. And among these focuses for this goal are quality and treatment and innovation and medical research. And these are, of course, huge issues that we're seeing around the world for almost any type of illness that people face. Um, but as we're talking about sickle cell disease, it's pretty a pretty well-known fact, I would say, that this illness largely impacts people of color. Um, and I think we live in a world where, unfortunately, discrimination is a huge part of everyday life. And living in the United States, we see that on a daily basis. And it's it's really, it's tragic. And it's it's horrendous to think that humans, you know, take that step to, to differentiate themselves so much from another person. Um, but because of this, the American medical model is predominantly based on the treatment and care of white people, uh, but specifically white men. What do you think we can do to further the innovation in medical industries to make sure that people of color are receiving the same level and quality of care? I think it just goes back to human values and making sure that people are treating every single person with respect. And that's kind of hard to say because not everybody is going to have that mindset. And it's difficult to get people out of a mindset that was systemically um, and institutionally implemented into society, especially in the United States. And I think it's a great thing that you acknowledge that uh, because it is a very serious thing. It's a real thing. I've experienced even on the pediatric care level, doctors discriminating against me, not believing me. I've had teachers not believe my pain as a pediatric. So imagine when I go into the adult world, how I'm feeling about to enter the adult world. I'm 16, so time is running out for me to still be in the pediatric care unit. And it makes me really scared about the treatment I'm going to receive as an adult. Am I even going to get treatment based off of the color of my skin, based off of my disease and what that's perceived as? Because even doctors not listening to me and hearing me really scares me. Um, and I think it's just important for people to understand that they have a job to do at the end of the day. Um, and you understand this too as a title holder. Like for me, I look at everyone as just as people and I serve everyone. 
And that's the job we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to do it to the best of our abilities. And I think that on the medical level, that's what needs to be done. Just doing your job fairly for everyone across the board is what's going to help people. And if you want to be a medical professional, you should want to help everyone. And I think that that's what should be happening. What do you think people can do to advocate for themselves when it comes to their medical care? You you said it exactly is that a lot of times people don't believe you. Um, and I think this is especially common for women. And then, of course, especially common for specifically women of color. What can people do to advocate for themselves when it comes to their medical treatments? I preach advocating for yourself. I've always grown up in the mindset with my parents of being able to talk for yourself and voice your needs. So like when I go to the hospital and they're asking my mom, okay, well, mom, what medication does she need? What milligrams does she usually take? Does she take it with this? My mom's like, don't ask me, ask her. And she's always said that because she wants me to be able to use my own voice and to say what I need to say. And my dad would just encourage me to do the same thing as well. Um, just being able to voice my own thoughts and what I feel I need has really helped me along the way. And that's exactly what I encourage other people to do, advocating for yourself and what you think is best for you. Not listening to what society says, not listening to what even your parents say sometimes because they might not fully understand what you're going through. You know, just making sure that you're advocating for you doing what's best for you. A few weeks ago, we were joined by Shannon Caddy, and she is the founder of Project PCOS. She talked a lot about her journey with chronic illness and the steps that she takes every day to care for herself and for her illness. As somebody who suffers with a chronic illness, what are you doing to take care of yourself? So I like this question mostly because sometimes I don't take care of myself as much as I should. Um, I'm a dancer. I dance five days a week. And then I also sometimes have performances and things like that. And then of course, I'm a title holder and a state title holder at that. So I'm always traveling all around the state, sometimes in different states. And I take my job very seriously. I want to do it well, and I wanna be very active in my role, but I also have to sometimes take a step back and remember you know, that I have a chronic illness and I have to make sure I'm treating myself with enough care. Um, so sometimes I'll just make sure I take an Epsom salt bath if that's what I need to do, just like a warm Epsom salt bath after a long day of rehearsal or just things like reading or just listening to music, doing things for me for my own alone time so that I can rejuvenate and relax. Um, this past, it was about two weeks ago now, I had a sickle cell crisis for a couple of days um, for about a week, I think, maybe a little bit over that. And that was really because of how much I was going. And I was just going, going, going for like eight days straight. I remember we had like rehearsals because it was concert week. So it was concert week. And I went to Richmond, like I went to another uh, city in my state. So I woke up super early for that and then went straight to the theater for rehearsals. Um, and then it was just dancing, dancing every day. I had more appearances over the weekend on both days. And then it was like Monday and my body just had to like take a step back. And sometimes reacting to that, my body will just go into crisis because it's so tired uh, from moving around constantly. So definitely just making sure I take breaks 
when I need to. Um, also having at school a 504 plan, you know, having things like that in place so that I'm accommodated properly for my illness. Um, and it's still difficult for me to want to take a step back for sure. And I encourage this, but sometimes I myself have to check myself and say, well, I need to take time for myself. I need to make sure that maybe today I don't do this appearance and I reschedule it for maybe another day, you know? So just like adding, adding time and space between all of my activities that I'm involved in uh, is really the best way I take care of myself. I really like that you you acknowledge that sometimes, you know, you struggle to find that time to take oh, care yeah. of yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important because it's true. I mean, yeah. women nowadays are run everywhere, doing everything. And especially with the position that you have, it is a full-time job sometimes. And I don't think people recognize that the job of a title holder really is exhausting because you're an advocate, you're a representative, you are a dancer, a performer, a speaker, a teacher, you are every job under the sun and it is yes. exhausting, but especially for our state title holders. Um, and you kind of answered this question in it, in, in discussing how, you know, you care for yourself or sometimes when you don't have the option to, but what's the best advice that you would give to somebody who's dealing with a chronic illness? Yeah, like you said, I kind of already answered this a little bit, but I think the best advice that I could give to someone with a chronic illness is to advocate for yourself um, and take care of yourself in the best way that you see fit. Um, a lot of times I think with the stigma around having sickle cell disease, I definitely felt like I needed to move quietly in certain areas of my life. And I felt like I couldn't speak up for certain things because I thought I would get judged because of the stigma around having a chronic illness. Like I brought up a little bit earlier, drug seeking is a huge stigma that's around sickle cell disease, especially because it's so prevalent in the black community. So people just assume that we are abusing medications just because. And sometimes that can really get to me and I have to get myself out of this subconscious mindset that because I decided to take a Tylenol or because I decided it's best for me to take, you know, an Advil, that that's not the stigma that's being placed on me. And I can still take care of myself in the best way that I need to. Um, I also had a really hard battle growing up and I still deal with it now sometimes of like, if I'm not having sickle cell pain, if I'm not in crisis, then I'm not going to medicate. So this was like, even if I had a headache or if I was really sore and a lot of athletes, you know, will take medications just to relieve, relieve themselves from pain. And I would just say, no, I'm not going to do it because I'm not having sickle cell pain. And again, this is just from that stigma being placed on us that we are abusing medications. And it was really difficult for me for a long time to get out of that mindset because again, in the hospital, even when I'm receiving care, because I obviously don't feel well. So I'm coming to you guys to help me feel better. And you guys are telling me that I shouldn't take this, I shouldn't take that, or I'm making things up, or I'm over-exaggerating. So I think all of that just made it traumatic for me. And it made me not want to take care of myself. And so now that I'm older, of course, again, like I said, I still struggle with it. Uh, but I do the best I can day by day to make sure I'm taking care of myself.
because again, I have a job to do and I can't do that effectively if I don't take care of myself. And even outside of this job, I have things that I like to do for fun, things that I enjoy. And I can't do all of those things if I'm not taken care of. So I just encourage people with chronic illnesses, you know, despite all the stigmas that are placed on you from society, what you're feeling is valid, no matter what anybody else says. And you have to take yourself and put yourself first and not listen to other people's input sometimes and just have to recognize that this is what you need to do for you and this is what's best for you at the end of the day. I love that. I think that's that's so important. And I, I really I wanna say thank you for sharing that that bit of yourself because I I I don't deal, I have said this before that I've been very blessed in my life. I've never had to deal with a chronic illness. Um, and I can't imagine that level of self-doubt and uh, what do I want to say? Like imposter syndrome, I suppose, that comes with feeling sick sometimes. And I want to thank you for continuing in your strength and everything and, and serving as an amazing advocate for people dealing with chronic illness. But switching gears a little bit, I've had the opportunity to meet with title holders from across the country to talk about the sustainable development goals, what they're doing in their communities, and how their experiences in the Miss America organization have impacted them. So tell me, what made you want to get involved with MAO? So I started, I started out with the Miss America organization because I was introduced to the Princess program at eight years old. And that's when I realized that it was something I wanted to do. I grew up watching Miss America and I didn't really know fully what it was. I kind of just thought it was a lot of pretty girls who looked so fabulous on stage. I love the dances because I've always been a dancer. So I was like, this is something I want to do. That's what I thought to myself when I was eight. And I remember um, back in 2010, watching Caressa Cameron win. Miss America and seeing her come back to Miss Virginia some years. And that was really inspiring to me as only the eighth Black Miss America at that time. And so that made me realize that this is something I can do. That's somebody who looks like me and I feel represented in that and I can be that for someone else. And so I just kind of started doing more community service work when I hit about eight years old. That's when I know I wanted to really uh, be an ambassador for sickle cell. And I didn't really think about pageantry as much um, for a couple of years because my parents and everyone wanted me to be old enough to do it. Uh, they just wanted me to kind of find my own, find myself a little bit more, and then you know, I would get into it. And then I decided right when I was 13 that I wanted to start. And I eventually won my first local. I went to state that first year. This was the COVID era, so I had like another year, uh, which was nice. I got to kind of grow and develop my platform more and then went back the second year and I won my state title. Um, but I, I think the most important thing for me and why I really wanted to get involved and take on this job is because, again, I feel like I'm representing everyone because as a person of color, as a young Black female in America, I feel that I have this unique role that I represent diversity in this organization. And I'm able to represent that because of who I am. And that's something that a lot of people will 
look down upon and make us feel not proud about. And I just take that and I kind of flip it around and say, well, this is something that's a part of me. And now I can influence other people who are all different ethnicities that girls of color can do this too. And we can do it well, you know, we can do it well. And I've had little girls come up to me and ask me if I'm Princess Tiana or just saying they're inspired by me. And they might not really understand. They just might see a girl in like pretty crown. And, you know, that's, and that's the magic for them and see me as a princess. And that's how it's magical for them. But for me, it's so magical because I'm inspiring them. And that's where I was at a young age. And so I'm able to make their experience so whole and show them you can do this too. Um, you can be here as well. I mean, the last Miss Virginia's outstanding team was 10 years ago. Um, Angela Medina, and she paved the way for me and many other girls of color that will hold the title many years down the road. So I think just being able to inspire people, motivate people to live their lives to the fullest, because that's what I try to do every day, despite having an obstacle. Um, I think that was the most important part to me and why I really wanted to do it. Uh, I know in preparation for our meeting today, you stated that you were the first sickle cell warrior to compete for the title of Miss America's Outstanding Teen. Tell me about that experience. What did it mean for you? And what did it mean for your ability to further your service initiative? So I was really excited just to talk about my social impact initiative on a national level. And I had already become a national ambassador for the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America. So I kind of had some national outreach already, but being able to speak on a national stage where lots of people are able to listen to my story was really exciting to me. And that was my main goal. If I can touch at least one person, then I've completed my mission. You know, I've done what I wanted to do at MAO Team. And I was a Teens in Action finalist, which was huge for me because of all of the work that I do with my social impact initiative, along with Jersey as well, which is such a coincidence that we're um, here uh, talking about that in Pennsylvania. Um, but yes, I was so excited to be a part of that because of all the work that I do. So I felt super recognized for everything that I've been doing over the years. And I got nationally recognized for that. And I had people come up to me, former Miss Americans Outstanding Teens, um, Emma Broyles, Miss America 2022, just saying, your story was so inspiring. It was so moving to me and you're so strong and like just continue to do what you do. And I had a couple of former national title holders come and tell me that. And I would just start crying like on the spot because it was an, it was a kind of an emotional week too. You know, we would go through so many ups and downs and, you know, lots of blood, sweat and tears <laughs> quite literally. Um, but having people tell me that I was inspiring to them really was like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be, regardless if I take home the national title or not. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I always tell people that before I had this title, I did all of this work and I will do that way long after as well, because I just feel like that's what I was put on this earth to do. Just advocating for people to say, I am stronger than sickle cell, or I am stronger than any hardship that anyone ever goes through. Um, so the fact that I was able to do that at Miss America's Outstanding Team was an honor. Um, 
and it was it was a great experience overall for sure. Do you have a favorite memory from Miss America's Outstanding Chain? Like a favorite event or Ooh. something that you loved doing? I have a couple. Um, I would say some of my favorite times though were just the simple moments with the girls. I bonded a lot with them just when we would have downtime to ourselves. And this was the same thing at Miss America as well. When a lot of us got to go, um, I remember me and Washington, but now she's Miss America's teen, Morgan, we're really close friends. Um, and we had known each other a year prior to the competition because we met each other through Empower Academy. So I knew her before the competition and we were talking and stuff and everything before that. But just we would go in the dressing room when we had free time and we would just sit under the tables and take a nap and just, you know, those things like that are just like talking about our interests and what we enjoy even outside of um, holding a title. So it was be a beautiful thing to me to have so many people from all different walks of life come together in one, one area and just getting to talk to them was really special to me. I really found it uh, special and I'm really close to a, a couple of girls in the class, a lot of the girls in the class I have really close relationships with. Um, and they always say, they're like, oh, you're going to have lifelong friends and, you know, and it's like, okay, maybe, you know, I'll meet a few people that I, that I click with, but I genuinely have people that I could see being my bridesmaids and I could see, you know, us continuing our friendship long after um, our titles. So I just think making friendships is really significant memory. And also the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. I mean, come on, that was I mean, I grew up watching DCC making the team as a dancer. And like when we saw Kelly Finglass at rehearsal, we were like, no way. <laughs> like, there's no way she's actually here. Like, that was a pretty, that was a core memory for sure. It's so yeah. funny, like seeing how similar the state competition is to a local competition, to the national competition of, it's all yeah. just really incredible empowered women hanging out that's really all competition is no it really is it, it, it's so funny and you're so right because I remember all of us back in Pennsylvania were watching Miss America's Outstanding Teen and we were like it, are those the Dallas Cowboys <laughs> we were like we're all freaking out me and Miranda Moore are huge DCC fans are Miss Ooh. Central Pennsylvania and we were dying laughing because we were like we're jealous <laughs> wish we could be there right now um yeah. But it's so it's so interesting to see how level to level, it doesn't matter how far you go, the sisterhood is really the biggest thing. And and I think more so in the last couple of years, we're really seeing how important that sisterhood is becoming. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that's it, it's awesome. And that's why I love this podcast, because I get to meet women from across the country who I would not have had the opportunity to meet unless I went to one of the other competitions. But we're going to be closing out our interview. So I want to ask you the question I have ended every interview with since the start. And it is the last question I ever received, actually, in my very final Miss America or Miss, Pen Miss Pennsylvania's Outstanding Teen interview. Um, and it is, what is one piece of advice you would give to a young person who wants to help change the world? I would say to a young person who wants to change the world is find your passions. Find what you're passionate about, find what you care about 
and use that as a vehicle for change. This is what I did at, at a young age because I wanted to change the world in some form. And although on my part, it might be a minute part of the story, like of life in general, it's helping people along the way um, that will eventually have a butterfly effect, a domino effect, and eventually a lot more people will be impacted. So just finding what you're truly passionate about and spreading that into your community service work, into how you advocate for other people is the most important thing. Um, before we close out this interview, I wanted to say really admired that you were, because I talked to you, I first talked to you um, because I saw that you were the first queer person to hold a title and ever. And this was back in, I think, like 2020. So it's so funny how our paths crossed again. And now I'm a state title holder and you're going back to the state competition as well. But I just admired how you were so proud about um, being who you are and inspiring other people to do the same thing. And that's something that you're passionate about and you wanted other people to feel like they could be comfortable in their own skin and compete as well. And I was literally so excited to see that and seeing so much more inclusivity and diversity. And I was like, wow, this is so exciting. I was, I literally was like showing my mom, I was like, mom, look, like this, this title holder from Pennsylvania, like this is so cool. Like this is more diversity in the organization. I think this is great. And a lot of people think they can do it now too. And now we're seeing people that are of different sexualities. We're seeing people of different genders um, competing in this organization. And you play a part in that because you inspired me even. And I thought it was so, so cool. Um, so just taking your passions and spreading them to other people um, is what's most important. But I, I just had to say that because that was, um, I remember that, like that was like a core memory for me. And I just thought I was so excited when I initially saw you um, on social media. So, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I didn't expect to get all up in my feelings. Oh my God, thank you so much. Um, wow, that means, that means so much. I always like to joke that I may have been the first, but I will never be the last again. And now I'm part yes. of this really really wonderful group of queer candidates all across the country and especially in Pennsylvania we have a wonderful we we call them the queer queens uh is I big love that us. we have a little group chat and everything and so um, I thank that. you for those kind words really of I did course. not expect that um, <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us today it has been such a privilege getting to hear you you talk about your story and and I mean it and Emma Broyles was right when she said how strong you are um and it's very clear to our listeners at home that this is why you have the job that you have because you are a perfect representation of what this organization looks for in its candidates and now now delegates um but you are a perfect <laughs> example of what it means to be a strong leader a strong female leader in the Miss America organization to our listeners back at home, you can learn more about Miss Virginia's teens mission to educate <laughs> and destigmatize the facts surrounding sickle cell disease and chronic illness by following her at Miss America's Teen VA. Last week, we were able to announce a new partnership with Flyers Nation, and this week we are proud to announce that we have an official 
new Instagram. So learn more about how you can help achieve the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals by following us on Instagram at Sisters in Sustainability Podcast. Join the hashtag SisPod Nation today and remember that sustainability really does start with you. Thanks for listening.